Um, I don't know if the same thing kind of happened at 11 because I didn't come in at 11 to make my announcement about Pathfinders until a little later. But at 9 o'clock last week, I came in during worship. And I had just finished worship with the kids over there. And then I came in, and you guys, the 9 o'clock service um, adults, were still having worship, still um, worshiping the Lord. And um, Bo and uh, Les and the guys were singing a song, um, It Is Well With My Soul. And so I came in, and, and just like everybody else, I came. I knew I was going to have to get ready for my announcement, but I came up on the front, and I was, you know, singing and worshiping the Lord and singing that song. And as everybody was singing that song, David came up kind of in the middle of the song and said he felt like from the Lord that there were people in, among us who really had this, they were singing that like they meant it, but really they didn't have, not all was well with their soul. And so he encouraged those people, if that was them, if they were one of those people who said, I'm singing this with all I've got, but really, in me, all is not well with my soul. And he encouraged those people to raise their hand and encourage people to kind of gather around them and pray for them. And so we did. A few people raised their hand, and I saw someone, you know, over here on the side raising their hand, and so I went over and I began to pray for that person with another little group of people. But the truth of the matter was is that I should have been one of the people to raise my hand. Because all was not well with my soul last week, last Sunday. And if you were here at 9, I gave my Pathfinder announcement. I pretty much blubbered it out. I cried the entire announcement. Because it became really real to me where I was, that I was not always well with my soul. And what had happened a few days before, and I don't remember if it was the day before or two days before, but... Um, I woke up one morning and I just kind of my eyes just kind of popped open, which is not typical for me. I'm an alarm clock girl. I do not like to wake up. But I woke up this morning, my eyes literally popped open, and the first thought in my head was, you're about to be 45. Not a good way to wake up. <laughs> and then, if that wasn't enough, then it was like, hmm, in five years I'll be 50. And I started thinking about between when I turned 45 in a few weeks and that benchmark of 50, what, is those, what will those next five years look like? Now, when I turned 30, didn't bother me at all. When I turned 40, no sweat. Matter of fact, friends of mine who turned 40 and had really a hard time, I was kind of like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? But for some reason, this particular morning, when I opened my eyes and I heard those words or thought those words, you're about to be 45. It didn't seem like a real great thing. So I started thinking about, okay, my oldest son is a, will be a junior in high school this year. So that means in two years, he'll be gone. He'll be gone to college, and he wants to go far away to college. <laughs> so he'll be gone. He'll be out of my house. And my youngest who's 13, three years after that, will be gone also. So in that five years, both of my children will be gone. They'll be out of my house. What will I do with myself? And then I started thinking, you know, because I'm renting a house, which is fabulous, and we, I love it. But the reality that I'll still be in that house in five years is not probable. And I just moved, so the thought of moving again did not excite me. I'm single. I want to be remarried. I want the Lord to bring a godly man in my life. And I want to be remarried. And I thought, what if 
50 gets here and he hadn't, God hadn't sent him. And I'm alone. And my kids are gone. And I don't know where I'm going to live. And I'm alone. And then, if that wasn't enough, <laughs> I thought about what I do. And I thought, will I be too old to jump around in Pathfinders anymore? <laughs> well, the kids go, seriously, you're too old for this. <laughs> so all of that happened in the matter of a few minutes laying in my bed. And so for two, two, a day or two, I, that is all I could think about. I'm about to be 45, and then I'm going to be 50. And it ain't looking good. So I came to church last Sunday, and singing that song, just the Lord said, all is not well. All is not well. And I felt like I literally was losing hope that this next five years did not look real hopeful to me. And as a Christian, to say we've lost hope is a huge deal, huge mistake. Because it's like saying to the Lord, I don't believe you. I don't believe your promises. I don't believe that you have good things for me. And I certainly did not want to go off that cliff into hopelessness. So I began to talk to people. I talked to David and Kim, poor David and Kim, I talked to David and Kim. I talked to um, my accountability partner. I talked to friends. I prayed. Lord, what? And I came down to what I was feeling was not necessarily hopelessness as much as it was helplessness. But I was teetering into hopelessness. If I hadn't come back, if I hadn't let the Lord pull me back, I would have been without hope. So our helplessness and hopelessness, the same thing. So I started, I'm a word person, so I'm looking up these words, and basically, if you're hopeless, it means you're defenseless. There's nothing you can do about the situation. There's nothing you can do to change the situation. You can't stop it. You're helpless. Literally, you can't do anything to fix it. If you're hopeless, if you have hopelessness, it means that you have given up on any expectation of anything good happening. So they're not, by definition, the same thing. But I think that sometimes when we feel helpless, we can, if we're not careful, teeter over into hopelessness. And that is certainly not what the Lord wants to happen. So I started thinking, are there, are there situations where people are helpless, but they're not hopeless? And I was thinking about um, the babies in Pathfinders because every Thursday, or not every Thursday, about once a month on a Thursday, we have this thing called Pray and Play. And the moms who have kids, babies who are two and under come and, and they sit together and they get to talk and we pray together and the kids are playing. And so as I was kind of, as the Lord was kind of working me through all this week, he reminded me of those babies. And babies are helpless, completely helpless. They can't do anything for themselves. They can't even go to the bathroom. They can't do anything. But yet, I would say that they're certainly not hopeless. Now, they don't think of it that way. But they never lose hope because they know whatever need they have, the person they trust, that they love, that loves them, is going to fix it. 
the mom, the dad, the grandparent, the babies, whatever, whoever it is in their life that they trust and they know that person loves them. They know, as helpless as I am, if I cry or whatever, whatever need I have, that person I trust is going to fix it. It might be a few minutes, whatever. They're going to make me feel warm. They're going to make me feel cooler. They're going to feed me. They're going to change me, whatever. They're helpless, but they're not, they're not hopeless. And then there's like a POW, a prisoner of war. Now, certainly, he's helpless. He's trapped. Can't escape. There's nothing he can do to fix the situation. And he has to make a choice to keep hope. He has to hope the good guys are coming. I'm going to be rescued. He has no evidence that it's going to happen. The baby has evidence. The POW, no evidence that's going to happen. So he has to choose to hope, even when he's helpless. And all of us, either we're feeling helpless today, or we felt helpless yesterday, or we're going to feel helpless at some point. Sometimes it's things that happen to us. I'm going to turn 45 in a few weeks. There's nothing I can do about that. Short of a miracle, I'm going to have that birthday. Even if I ignore it, it's still going to happen. My boys are still going to leave and go to college. I'm helpless. Or you've lost a job. Or you are desiring a baby and you haven't had one. We all have those times when we feel helpless. But we can't lose hope. So how do we keep ourselves from going over that cliff? We're going to look at a story in um, John. You guys want to turn us in John 11. And um, I'm going to set this story up just a little bit. <clears throat> John 11. So Jesus has been, he's been teaching, he's been, you know, he's been in relationship with the disciples, all this. And there's these three people. There's Lazarus, and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And they, based on Scripture, they're not just people who knew him. They, I mean, who knew about him. They knew him. They had an intimate relationship with the Lord. They knew him. He was their friend. It wasn't just someone that they had heard about and they knew he could heal people. And they knew he was a good teacher. They were in relationship with him. And Lazarus gets really sick. Really sick. And the two sisters, Martha and Mary, they know, we know who can help. We know Jesus can help us. He can heal him. He can save him. He loves him. Of course he's going to come help. Of course he is. In verse 3 it says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't just send word and say, Hey, this guy, you know, that you met, Lazarus, the one you love. So they are fully confident that Jesus loves Lazarus so much, he certainly is going to come help. So they send this word, and Jesus gets word, and he doesn't go yet. He kind of stays where he is. It says in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. It says he loved him. 
He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves all three of them. But yet, he stayed where he was for two more days. And Jesus knew, based on Scripture, it was going to take him a full day to even get there. But yet, he didn't leave. He gets word and he stays there. Now, we know, if you know this story at all, Jesus had his reasons. He knew that he had to wait. He had to keep this waiting pattern because God was going to be more, more glorified if he waited. But Martha and Mary didn't know that. All they knew was that I have called on my Jesus to help me and he has not come. They don't know why. They just know he's not showing up. Helpless. So Jesus talks to his disciples. He's talking about, should, you know, we're going to go. And the disciples, they kind of try to talk him out of it a little bit. There's some danger in going, but they decide they're going. And Jesus is headed that way now after the two days. And so we're going to pick up in verse 17. This is where he gets there. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, he's not just sick anymore. He's died. And he didn't just die right before Jesus got there. He'd been in the tomb for four days. So in Martha and Mary's mind, they have to be, if Jesus had come quicker, would he have saved? Could he have been saved? I mean, you know they had to be thinking that. Because again, they have no idea. No, they don't have any idea why he didn't come right away. All they know is he didn't come. So he gets there, and, and Lazarus has been in the, in the tomb for four days. And Martha hears that Jesus is coming, so she greet, runs out to greet him. Mary stays at home, and this is what Martha says in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She was being real with him. I was helpless, helpless, Jesus, and I sent for you, and you didn't come. And she says, if you had been here, he would not have died. But the great thing about that, I kind of visualize her not even, barely taking a breath between the two sentences and saying, but I know that even now, God, you will, God will give you whatever you ask. So she was saying, I, had, I was helpless, and you did not come. But she hasn't lost hope. Because she's saying, but I still hope. Because I know that God, the Father, is going to give you whatever you ask of him. I'm not, she doesn't give out hope. Even though she's real enough with him to say, Hello, if you'd shown up earlier, this wouldn't have happened in the first place. Let's see what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now this part is interesting to me because Jesus is saying he's going to rise again like here in a minute. And she, it's almost like she, because she's already said, you weren't here, I've, you know, but, you, but you're here now, and I know, I still have hope that you can do whatever God will let you do. But she, it's almost like she doesn't want to be presumptuous and say, you're going to fix it right now, aren't you? She's thinking later, because she knows that that's a promise that he has given her. That he will, that your brother will rise again in a resurrected body. This is the hope you have to look for out here. And so Martha 
is agreeing with that. She's saying, yes, I wanted you to come and save him. You didn't. I don't know why, but you didn't. And I know you can fix it right now. I do have that hope. But I know that even if you don't fix it right now, I have this hope out here that's waiting for me, that my brother will rise again. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who, has, who was come, excuse me, who was to come into the world. So she tells him, yes, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe your promises, in essence, is what she's saying. She doesn't say, I'm going to believe it as soon as Lazarus comes out of that grave or when I see his resurrected body in heaven one day. No. She claims it right now. Again, she was real in saying, if you had come earlier, I don't think this would have happened. But I haven't lost hope. I was helpless, but I didn't lose hope. So then let's keep going and see what happens. So she goes and gets Mary, her sister. She runs to Mary and she says, hey, Jesus is here. So Mary runs to her and runs out there. And in verse 32, Mary reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same thing her sister just said. Now, to me, that tells me that all of those days that they were waiting, they were telling each other, if Jesus would just come, he won't die. Jesus will fix everything. But they're both being so real with this Lord that they know so well that they can say, I'm a little frustrated that you didn't come sooner. So she tells him that. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now I'll stop right there for just a second. Because as I was reading that, what the Lord had me, when I stopped and really looked at what the, the Jews were saying, they see Jesus. They see, they've probably been with Mary and Martha. They've seen all of this happening. They've seen Mary and Mar Martha, you know, wanting Jesus to come and wanting Jesus to come. And finally he gets there. And then they see that not only are they weeping, but he's weeping. That's how much he loved Lazarus. But then they say, but hey, didn't he cure some blind guy? He could have done something about this if he had wanted to. They have no hope. They have no trust. All they're doing is trusting in what they see the Lord do, not who he is, not what his promises say. That is hopelessness. When our helplessness comes to a point where we say, I need you, if I can't see you do something, I don't feel like there's any hope. And that's kind of where the Jews were. They didn't know that, but that's where they were. They had no trust in him and who he was, only trusting what he had done. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, 
By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So Jesus fixed it. They called for Jesus days before. And yeah, he waited. He didn't come right away, but when he did come, he fixed it. And really, if you think about it, they only had to wait four days for everything to change. Mary and Martha had not given up hope that whole time. They were completely helpless. They hadn't given up hope, and now they see that their hope was justified. It was answered in four days. But what about those of us who we've been asking and hoping for the Lord for something for four weeks or four months or four years? Or in my situation, it's helpless because I can't do anything to change it. It's going to happen. How do we say, yes, Lord, I'm helpless and not be hopeless? In a, f- a few pages over in John 14, there's this interaction with um, Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus has kind of been preparing them, saying, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. Um, you know, I'm going to be buried. He's, t- he's telling them this, and they are not liking it. Because you have to think about the disciples. I mean, they have been walking with the Lord closely. I mean, they have seen firsthand who he is and how much he loves, and they've been learning from him and watching him, all of that. And so they're, they're troubled by this. And he says in 14.1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He's just saying, trust me. You don't know what's coming. You're right. There's nothing you can do to stop this because it's God's will. But you have to trust me. And then he tells them in, in 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, Jesus, he's already said, trust me. And then he goes farther, and he says, Now, look, when I leave here, you're still not going to be alone because I'm going to leave with you another counselor. And the word in the Bible that's counselor is also the word for helper. I'm going to leave this helper this counselor, with you forever. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When I leave, you won't be alone. Now, in Acts 1, this is exactly what happens. After Jesus has um, died on the cross, after he's resurrected, and he spends some time with the disciples before he goes into heaven. And what he has told them is going to happen, happens. They're sitting there with him, and all of a sudden, he's gone on a cloud. Just like that. And here are the disciples who have walked with Jesus. They've watched him. Again, they have had this relationship with him where they're like, we can't go wrong. 
they, matter of fact, I would say they would, they would have been hard-pressed to fall into any kind of hopelessness because he's right there. And all of a sudden, this thing happens that they can't control. And I love the scripture because it says that they stood there looking up. And don't you just imagine they're going, what, what just happened? I can just see these guys standing there looking at the sky like, what? What now? Now what are we going to do? Before he left, he, he not only told, he like told us all these responsibilities. We got to go tell people about him. And, and, and he goes and we're just standing there like, now what? But what they needed to remember was his promises that he left them with. He gave them really three promises. First, he said, I'm going to leave you with another counselor, another helper that's going to be with you forever, meaning the Holy Spirit. Now, these guys, part of the reason they're standing there like this, they don't even know what that looks like because that's not happened before. It does happen on the day of Pentecost. They get the Holy Spirit. But the thing for us is we don't have to stand there looking at the sky like, now what? Because once we've become a Christian, God has given us the Holy Spirit. So that promise that they need to believe that Jesus didn't just leave them standing there helpless. He's left with them a counselor, a helper who will be with them forever. That promise is true for us today. If we're a Christian, we have that. But if that wasn't enough, if that hadn't been enough to help them stay hopeful, Jesus said, well, you know, when I leave here, the reason, one of the reasons I'm going back is because I'm going to prepare a place for you. So when you die, when you leave this earth, if the Holy Spirit being with you is not quite enough of a promise for you to hang on to, well, then think about this. When you leave this earth, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and you're going to be there with me for eternity. And your father, and, I mean, you're going to be there in this amazing place. But wait, if that's not enough, there's a third promise. He tells them, I'm coming back, and I'm going to fix all this stuff that's wrong. So when the disciples are standing there helpless, and I think they were helpless. They had to feel helpless. The Jesus we love has just left us standing here, looking up in the sky. They certainly were not without hope because they had those promises, the same promises he gives us. I think we all can kind of, I think we all pretty much, when we feel helpless, fall into three, one of three places when we're feeling helpless. One, we're either like Martha and Mary, and we literally are stomping our feet saying, uh, where are you? This is a bad situation. Where are you? But if we're really like Mary and Martha, we haven't lost hope. Even though we can, we can be honest with him and say, I don't get it. Why do I have to keep waiting? It says your promises are real, and I am holding on with all I've got to those promises because I do not want to step from helplessness to hopelessness. So I'm going to hang on. And the same breath that I say, where are you? I'm going to say, but I know your promises are real. I'm going to claim those. Or 
we could be like the Jewish men, which is not where we want to be. And we're only trusting what he's done and not who he is and not who he says he is. Not trusting that he loves us, not trusting his promises. Only trusting what he's done. If we get to this helpless place and we're looking and going, I don't, I don't have a job or I really I have this desire in my heart to have a baby or whatever it is, and we look and we say, well, you did it for them. What about me? That's a, that, that is literally, if you're not already over into hopelessness, you're pretty close. Because you're choosing not to believe what he's promised for you. Or we can be the disciples who realize and stand there and say, I'm helpless, but I'm going to listen to your promises and I'm going to believe them and I'm going to know that they are for me today. That I have one today, the Holy Spirit. I have one to look forward to. I have two to look forward to. That you're going to, you are going to prepare, you're preparing a place for me and one day you're going to come back and you're going to fix all this stuff. And all this helplessness I feel is going to be gone because my hope was in you. Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Having hope does not mean we live this unrealistic life of optimism. But it does mean that when we feel ourselves going from helplessness, we have to remember we already have the hope because we have the Holy Spirit. We have his promises. We have his promises. Now, I'll be a little transparent with y'all that I have, over the last three years of my life, I have had a lot of me standing there going, where are you? Because every time I seem to get over one hurdle, something else happened in my life. And so I had to be, I couldn't be like the baby. For me personally, I couldn't be the baby who, who, who said, I'm helpless, but I know that I'm just going to turn around and it's going to be fixed. I, I, I got past that point where I had to be like the POW. And I had to say, I am helpless, but I'm going to cling to hope with everything I've got. Because sometimes that was all I had. And I think we all, as Christians, we'll all have those moments where we say, where are you? I'm helpless. And we have to make a choice to cling to the hope, to cling to the promises that he has given us. Because if we don't, It's like slapping God in the face. It's like saying, your promises are not true. You're a liar. Because it seems to be real for everybody else but me. That's a bad place to be. So how, what do we do? 
I have a friend, um, I asked her if I could share this story. Um, I told you last week, between last Sunday and today, I've been, you know, I'm a, I'm a talker, if y'all didn't know that about me. And I've been, I, I talked to David and Kim, I told you that, and I, and I have an accountability partner, um, a dear friend of mine. We meet once a week for breakfast. We, we hold each other accountable. We talk, we share, we pray together. And she knew that I've been struggling. She knew this week it was a, it was a rough, rough patch for me. That I was, I was saying, literally, I am helpless, and I feel like I'm about to lose hope. Help me. I need help. And so we've been talking several times over the course of the week, and on Friday she called me and she said, hey, I'm going for a walk. Why don't you come go walk with me? And I said, that'd be great. So we're out walking, and, and I was kind of telling her where I felt like the Lord had kind of done some things in my heart to, to pull me back from that cliff of being hopeless. And um, I said, have you ever had an experience in your life where you just felt completely helpless? And so she told me this story. She told me I could share it with you guys. She was um, 16 when this happened. And I, at the first service, I told, I told everybody when I said she's 16, I think they all thought she was 16 now. And I'm like, no, she's my age. She was 16 when this happened. That would not be good if my, my spiritual mentor was 16. But um, Anyway, she, um, so she was 16 years old, and she grew up um, kind of in South Georgia, real, I mean, just very rural. She said, I mean, country roads where there was nothing on it. There'd be miles and miles between houses, nothing on the road. And so one night, she was out by herself, 16-year-old girl, out in her blue Mustang. She said, now, you have to tell me it was a blue Mustang because it was a cool car. Okay, so she's out in her blue Mustang, and if you're anywhere close to my age, you know that when you were 16, when I was 16, there was no such thing as cell phones. You didn't have a phone in your car. You didn't have a phone in your purse. I mean, you did not have any form of communication with you. Your form of communication was if you got in trouble, you had to find a pay phone, and you had to call somebody. So she's on this dark road, and she said it was really late at night. She'd been out with some friends or something. She said it's probably 12, 1 in the morning. I mean, it's late. And she is on this dark, dark road by herself in her little car. And she said that all of a sudden, when she pushed the gas, it started making this weird noise and kind of sputtering. And she said, but I just pushed the gas harder. So she pushes a little harder, and again, it just kind of, it starts jerking and sputtering and starting to cut out and all this. And she said, and all I could think was, I've got to get to the top of this hill. Because she said she was, there was two roads the kind of two country roads that kind of merged into a bigger road. And she knew that on that road somewhere there might be a place to call somebody. But the thing was, too, she said that was, that, that was significant was that she wasn't on the road she was supposed to be on coming home. Her parents had always told her to take this other road, and she was on this other, the road she wasn't supposed to be on. So she knew if she got in trouble and her parents decided to go look for her, they weren't going to find her because they wouldn't come down this road. So here she is, and she's just pushing the gas as hard as she can, and every time it slowed down a little more and a little more and a little more, and all she's trying to do is to get where these merge. So she finally gets pretty close, and she pushes the gas one good last time, and boom, the whole thing dies. She completely threw out the motor. It's dead. She said, I was helpless. I had no phone. I'm a 16-year-old girl on some country road by myself, not safe. I didn't even, she said, I didn't even have a flashlight. And she said, and in that moment that I was completely helpless, the only thing I could think was, 
I've got to call my daddy. She said, it didn't matter that I was on the road I wasn't supposed to be on. It didn't matter that I, this was probably partly my fault because I didn't put oil in the car. It didn't matter. She said, all I knew was that I was helpless and I knew I had trust in, the, in my daddy that if I called him, he was going to come help me. She said, so I took a deep breath and I got out of that car on that dark, dark road and I started running as fast as I could. She said, I ran up the hill and I got past where those two roads merged and I kept running and running and running until I saw a gas station. And I went to it and I called my daddy. And she said, and all I said was, help me. And he came. She trusted that if she asked him, he would help her. She knew it. She'd never had her car stop on the side of the road before to say, well, I have to know that I've had this. Ex no, she just knew because he loved her. That it was a promise that he was going to help her if she needed it. So he came. And the thing was, he couldn't fix this particular situation. But he helped her. And that's how we are. If we get in those situations where we are helpless, and it will happen. If it hasn't happened today, it's going to happen tomorrow or next week or a year from now. It will happen. And the only thing we can do is call our daddy. Is to say, Lord, help me. And guess what? He's going to come. It's a promise. Our hope is in him. Now, he may not choose to fix the little problem that happened or that's happening, but his promises are bigger than that anyway. If all I expected for him was to fix it so that my kids don't leave home or whatever it is that's bothering me, boy, that's low expectations for a big God. We can be the Martha and the Mary and say, God, where are you in this situation? But cling to hope. We could teeter on hopelessness by being like the Jews and saying, you've got to show me something or I'm just going to think you don't do this for me. You only do it for everybody else. Or we could be like the disciples and say, yes, I'm hopeless because I don't understand What's going on? I, don't, I can't see the future. I can think in my head, I know what the next five years are going to look like, but I don't know. I don't know. And I would much rather see what the Lord has in store for me than think about what I have in store for me. We'll all find ourselves in helpless situations, but we can't lose hope. Um, as we're closing out today, I felt like the Lord gave me some specific scripture um, to pray over you guys. I think it is so powerful when we pray the words of God straight out of his Bible, um, and we pray it for other people, we pray it for ourselves, we pray it for our children, because guess what? His words are so much better than ours anyway.
And so today, um, before we go into just the, the ministry time that we normally do, I'm going to pray some specific scriptures over you guys. Because I really felt like when I was preparing for the, today that the Lord was saying that there are people in a couple of different places with this helplessness. One is um, they, they've had to wait for things, and so this waiting is making them start to feel hopeless. Like, is it ever going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? And then another group of people is just, like I said, they just kind of lowered your expectations because you haven't seen things happen, so you start to lower your expectations. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'll, I'll share this one last thing before we stand up and then I pray. Um, to kind of bookend this, and I did not know, I, I got an email that showed what songs Bo was going to sing today, but I really didn't honestly kind of pay attention to the titles or anything like that until the first service when we were worshiping. And all of this, when the Lord started stirring in my heart, this is where you are. You're helpless, but you're starting to lose hope, was last week with that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I realized it's not. It wasn't. And then today, as we were singing these words, I called, you answered, you came to my rescue. So I was singing those words this morning, I thought, yes, that's what you did. I called you this week and said, I don't want to be 45. I'm losing hope for what you have for me. And he pulled me back from that cliff and said, I'm right here. If we call, he will answer. He will rescue us from hopelessness. If you'll stand, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that your promises are true and real for us, for each one of us. And Lord, um, in our smallness, we begin to feel helpless with situations. Some of them we can't do anything about, and some of them are of our own cause. Either way, Lord, we begin to feel helpless, and you do not want us to lose hope. When we have to wait on you, Lord, you say, wait patiently. You tell us, Lord, to cling to hope against all else. So, Lord, for those among us who are saying, Lord, I've been waiting, where are you? I want to pray Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Lord, we don't want to lose hope. We want to hope in your promises. We want to hope because of who you are, because you love us, Lord. It does us no good to wait or to, to hope for something we already have. So, Lord, we want to cling to hope and wait for you patiently. 
Lord, those are um, there. There are people among us who say, you know what? I, I just I've kind of given up on thinking anything's going to be great because I just get little nibbles of good. We've lowered our expectations, Lord, of who you are. Lord, you are bigger than anything we could hope for anyway. What you have for us is more than we can even imagine. And it's always better than what we can imagine. So, Lord, I I just, I confess to you that this has been me. I have lowered my expectations of you. I've lowered what I can hope for, Lord. But, Lord, we want to pray. Romans 12, 11 and 12 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Lord, that's what we want to be. We do not want to lack any zeal for you. We want a thirst and a hunger for who you are. We want to keep our spiritual fervor, Lord. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. We want to be on fire for you, Lord, so that we can be joyful as we hope. We can be patient in our afflictions, in our helplessness, Lord. We can be patient. And, Lord, we can be faithful in prayer to you. We can be honest with you. And we can call on you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every person in here that feels helpless today or will feel helpless tomorrow or the next day. Lord, show them how to cling to hope because it's already theirs because of you and because of who who you are, how you love us, Lord Jesus. We want to cling to hope. In your son's name, amen. Oh. Mm-hmm.